Well, it is a joy to have uh, Brother Grant Hardwick with us today. Brother Grant's been a longtime friend of mine, and uh, he's, I consider him a close friend, a faithful friend. He's been a mentor to me in a lot of ways and uh, an encouragement, and I'm very thankful for his uh, faithfulness to the truth and to the Lord, and uh, it's good to have him with us. Brother, you come preach to us, and uh, you just go as the Lord leads you. would like to thank everyone for uh, all the work. I mean, it was amazing uh, just to watch all the work that went into to the conference and, and so much we could say commending this church for what they did. It wasn't just that uh, the food, but the friendliness, the hospitality that I've seen people coming and picking up your uh, empty uh, uh, garbage on the, on the table to uh, helping you find places and just making sure that you got greeted and and running, make sure there was water, there was coffee. Uh, I'm telling you, it, it really thrilled my soul to see people have a servant's heart like that. And uh, because you're not doing it for any other reason than for the glory of God, and because you love people, and God's all in that. I, I believe that. And I'm truly thankful for all of you that had, and I understand because of the busyness of life, trust me. I've had uh, three sons, and uh, my youngest is, is 17, and uh, one that got married, one we dropped off at West Point. I won't go there. I'll start bawling, and I drove straight from New York, caught a plane down here, and that, me and my wife for 12 hours took times crying uh, when, when we, we left him at West Point uh, to start his, his training. He'll be playing football there. We're really excited for him and the opportunity to play for Army, but uh, I'll just say this. Through life, I know this. Sometimes it's hard to, you love your church, you can't be here, but I tell you what, the ones that can and the ones that can't, and uh, you, you show the people that were there serving appreciation and by your support and love and offerings, everybody has a part in it. Even someone that doesn't show up, I promise you, everybody has a part in it. And uh, having a good attitude means so much. Was, Brother Joseph one of my dearest friends. So I'm so thankful for him and uh, thankful for his ministry. And, uh, in fact, this morning while I'm gone, his, his brother-in-law was teaching Sunday school and her, her sister Karen's uh, second favorite son, we'll say that, was uh, uh, teaching Sunday school. And, uh, and I, Karen, I, it thrills me when I'm here to see her with her grandchildren. Uh, it, it washed her out in the swing last night. It really brought joy to my heart. And we love Sister Karen and her faithfulness. And, uh, and you know, me and Joseph talked about his dad yesterday. Well, he, he was a guy that I loved talking to, and he was just such a good friend to me. And I am thankful for him. And when the Lord called him home, man, it left a big place in a lot of lives. And, uh, but Joseph's had some great men in his life, and I am thankful for his boldness, his dedication to Scripture. Years ago, I took him, and I'll tell this story, to uh, meet some pastors to discuss the doctrines of grace with him. And uh, I think he, you know, I don't know if he thought we were going to straighten us out or what at the time, but we talked for a couple hours and just shared, opened up, and he, he asked questions. Remember, he had, like, his iPad. He was typing stuff. And, and uh, for, for months after and years after, all them preachers said, has Joseph, has he submitted to the doctrines of grace? I said, he's going to. He's going to. They said, how do you know? I said, because he already grasped this, that a man cannot call upon the Lord unless he's been saved. And, and I said, but that, but there's something greater. He's allegiant to Scripture. And when you find a man's allegiance to Scripture and is on fire for God, I, I want to tell you, truth will, will find they will find the truth. 
And uh, now there's a few things I like to straighten him up on. Get his eschatology in line with mine just perfectly, but we're probably so close it really doesn't matter, right? And, and, and I, will, I will say this. Uh, one thing we know, the Lord comes back, we win. Amen? And God's people are going to win, I promise you. We're not on the, the, the losing side. And so I'm truly thankful. Now, I do apologize. I normally don't wear, Karen testify, I rarely wear a tie on Sunday morning. But when I was at West Point, I got me a black knight's tie. And, but the problem is I have three or four black shirts, and I grabbed the one that I can't hardly button without choking to death. And uh, there was no turning back once I got here because I wasn't going on a crash diet, all right? And um, I'd like to think it's a weightlifting that shrunk the shirt, but I think it was a refrigerator, okay? So <clears throat> I, I'm not, not getting into a bunch of stories. I believe we're here to hear the Word of God, right? Um, and I can tell you our church plant. Joseph can tell you about that a little bit later, but we're thankful we're about a year and a half old. And uh, God's blessed us tremendously, and we're looking to purchase some land. We have moved three different locations, and now we're, loca- we're actually sharing a building with the Methodist Church, okay? And, uh, and we're able to do that. It's going to be close to the land that we're purchasing, and it's going to cost about $150,000 at land, and uh, the state's done approved our entrance off the highway, and that's going to cost about 50000 so our goal is to try to get that paid as quick as possible. And I joke everywhere I go, if you've got one hundred fifty or $200,000 that you're bored with, uh, you can contact my sending church. And they will help you be on board, okay? So uh, that's, that's, that's all I'll say about that. Have your Bibles. I want to invite you to the Gospel of Matthew chapter number 13. I, I just want to start this by asking you a question. Have you paid a price? Have you paid a price? You know... Paul said, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So there's a price that comes with uh, seeking God. Uh, Proverbs tells us, buy the truth and sell it not. You can't borrow the truth. You might borrow your parents' beliefs, but you'll never have convictions unless you pay a price for them. And something you pay a dear price for, you're not willing to give up easily, Right? And, and there's some things that may cost you a lot, but it's, it, it's worth it. It's, it's so worth it. And, and so I want to look at uh, this, this passage in Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And uh, you say you're preaching on a parable, and I've heard some crazy interpretations. When I get done, you may think my interpretation is crazy. But we'll pray for you if that's the case, okay? Uh, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Uh, Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, in which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and notice this, he selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man who's seeking goodly pearls. And who, when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Help us to see the value of your kingdom, the value of the salvation that we have in Christ, but not only Salvation, but God help us to see the value of the work of the kingdom. 
and the purpose of the kingdom and the glory of the kingdom and, Lord, the, the value of being a citizen and to represent the kingdom of God. May we understand that it comes with a cost. And so we thank you this morning, and we ask that you would just help me to preach. I pray that you would help me to remember what I need to remember, nudge me when I need to move on. But God, I pray that the word of God will have an effect upon our hearts and upon our minds, and I pray that you will receive all glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 13 is known as the, the chapter that deals with the parables of the kingdom, and, and I love this chapter. I mean, I, it is one of my favorite chapters uh, to, to study because of its practicality, because of the hope that we find here, because of the promise, and also, I'll even say this, because it, it even deals with eschatology, but it keeps it in a very simple form. And, and so we're not battling trying to figure out how everything's going to unfold. We know that one day God's going to set this world right. And so we look for that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. I, 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 I love it. And, and, and it's, it's a chapter steeped in, in, in the very sovereignty of God. And because Jesus even says, they come, why are you teaching in parables? He said, well, he said, these mysteries of the kingdom, he said, they've been given to you to understand. But others, it's, been, it's not been given. You know, God can reveal truth to whom he wills. That's, that's God. That's not, that's not up to you and me. And so Jesus teaching these parables, and, and he's going to reveal truth. He's going to conceal truth. Uh, but there's several things that this, this kingdom, these parables teach. It teaches us how the kingdom of God is going to advance. It teaches us what the kingdom of God is going to look like. It teaches us what we will experience as, as we are citizens of the kingdom and what we should expect and how it will culminate at the end of the age, and why we should take everything that we have with our very fiber, very being, and give it all and invest it all into the work of the kingdom. Because it is worth it when you understand what is before you and what God is doing in this world. So if you want to look several parables, and I'll just try to overview fairly quickly, but there's, there's the parable of the sower, and this parable, basically, Jesus gives the interpretation. I had a guy one day going on with some crazy ideas. Well, this meant this and this meant that. And I said, well, here's what it means. He said, where did you get that? I said, I just read to you what Jesus said. <laughs> Amen. And, and, and I just read the book. Amen. And, and so uh, the sower teaches people, teaches us how people respond to the gospel and how we can identify those who are the true children of God, the true converts. Secondly, we have the parable of the wheat and the tares. And we see within this that, that we're going to face, in this age, great demonic uh, oppression. We're going to face opposition in this world and until the end of this age. But guess what? There's victory even then, right? And then we see there's parables, I believe, that he puts as encouragement. Now, you say, why is that? Well, if you read the parable of the sower, I mean, we start talking about all the different types of people receive the word of God and their response to it. One and four is only positive. You can get discouraged, and if you're going to be oppressed and opposed by Satan and his minions throughout this age, that could get discouraging. But then he moves into uh, some parables, I believe, to give us 
some courage. And one of them is the parable of the mustard seed. And, and this mustard seed is the smallest of all herbs. And I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed from the Middle East, but you plant it in the ground, and by the, by the time you know, fall rolls around, you've got a tree. I mean, this thing's huge. It spreads, and it's the least of all seeds of herbs, but it grows into something huge in comparison to where it, where it started. And so we see this. It teaches us the extensive growth of the kingdom of God. Now, you, you come to this passage, and there's, there's 12 disciples, and by the time you get to Pentecost, things really are starting to take off. Amen. And if we continue through the book of Acts, 5,000 more added. And they were so, such a great multitude, they couldn't count. And the kingdom of God spreads throughout the world. I, I believe this is evident, or there's this extensiveness of how the kingdom of God would spread. So that's encouraging. And then it gives us the parable of the hidden ye- uh, the yeast, or the leaven. And uh, what's that? It talks about the intensive growth. Not the extensive, but the intensive growth of the kingdom of God in people's hearts and lives. You cannot see it, but it works powerfully. It works powerfully. Now, I'd love to stand there and preach, but, but today we're looking at the, the hidden treasure and the peril of great price. Now, these two stories basically have the exact same meaning. There's an application. I'm not even going to touch it. Maybe a little bit different, but that's not the point of what I, I want to drive home today. Uh, you see, it pictures the value of true salvation that's hidden from most people. There's God's doing something in this world. God has something in this world, and the world doesn't even notice it. If they seen the value of the kingdom of God, this place would be packed today. Huh? I mean, we, we, we couldn't preach enough sermons. You'd have to run the crowd out and bring another one in. We'd have to tag each other. And we'd have to preach if they saw the value of it. And, and, we would, and when we sing, we'd sing to his horse. I mean, we, we, we'd give it all we had. If we had extra, we'd drop it all in there. I mean, it, it, you know, we're not giving out. Uh, uh, people often give out their excess. They really don't give till it hurts often, right? Come on. But if we see the value of the kingdom of God, we're willing to give to where it hurts us some. And so what, what we find is that the, these two parables, he says there's a man who, who he, apparently he just stumbles through a field one day. He's not looking for any treasure, and he stumbles upon a treasure, the Bible tells us. And, and so when he finds it, it's amazing he does something very unique. He says when, when he had found it, he hides it. And then when he hides it, he goeth forth and he sells everything he has. He liquidates all his value, all, like all the cash. He can get all the money he can get, maybe all the money he can borrow. And he finds a guy that owns his field and says, I want to buy your field. He didn't, he's not too interested in the cost. He just knows he's got to purchase his field. You know what it is? Because that treasure that was hidden in that field that the owner did not know was there is worth so much. He didn't care to lose everything because he saw the value of that treasure. What's what, what, what a, what, and that's what we first want to look at is the explanation of this parable. We look at the, the, the treasure. You know, coming from... Uh, southeast Kentucky, I, I can say this to you, that uh, I can remember going to my Uncle Walter's house and understand my dad was one of 17 kids. There was a bunch. That's it. That, now, that's hill, uh, my hillbilly credentials are pretty good, I, I'll just say. They're pretty solid. And uh, in Kidder, Kentucky, I uh, grew up, in, 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 password for a lot of my things is Cracker Neck. Maybe I shouldn't be throwing that out there, 
because I grew up in Crackerneck, and uh, you know, there's and I could go on with a lot of crazy names, but but I can remember being at Uncle Walter's cabin up on the hill. You couldn't drive; you could only drive so far, then you had to walk. But my dad was always telling us, you know, Walter, he, he wasn't married for the last several several years. He was alive, and he had money. We don't know where he put it. You tell kids that we're unlooking, we're looking under the floors, we're looking between the walls. We tore had to tear back that old. Uh, uh, they put newspaper up, and I'm talking some of this stuff like 1930, 1920 newspaper, newspaper up on that log uh, cabin of his, and we're looking, thinking, man, one day we're going to find Uncle Walter a mason jar too, full of money. I never found anything. I found a couple snakes looking, but I never found any money. But you know what? Uh, that that was common to people, probably the same way in Arkansas. Uh, you know, we're probably really close kin. I'm guessing. But in biblical times, people didn't have uh, places of financial security. They didn't have banks. And sometimes when people were, had to move away or go somewhere on a trip real quick, instead of taking all their money with them, or if they got called to war, they'd simply go hide their money somewhere in the field. They'd hide their riches in the field. Sometimes maybe they died in war. Maybe somebody died and the family didn't know where it was at. Something happened. And, 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 the, and the money was just all gone. And... It seems strange to us, but that was something common. And if you read the Bible, you understand they were invading armies, invading nations, and people were conquering. That's going on a lot. So something like this has happened, and this man finds this treasure, and so it's so valuable, he does not care what the cost is. He sells all that he has for joy. I mean, he, it's worth it. <laughs> I mean, he, 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 there's, he's not sad about it. He's not sad about selling his home place. He's not sad about a place passed down to him from his grandparents. He's not worried about that. He, he, and so it, it's amazing. he didn't go look for it, but he found it and for joy. And it, it, he takes acquisition of this land, cuts a deal, probably paid a price that the land was way more or, or, or worth. The land wasn't worth that much, but he knew what was there. So everything he has for this immense treasure, he knows it has immeasurable value okay so let's look at the pearl of great price now well there, there's a person who's a merchant and this word for merchant means a collector one who's an expert in identifying uh beautiful jewels uh maybe uh, beautiful stones beautiful pearls and for jewelry uh this is not some untrained street peddler we might say that that we get from the word merchant here but you'll find that that he, well, he's out looking, probably is his business. He probably had a lot of valuable pearls. He had a lot of valuable stones. But one day he sees one that's so excellent, one that's distinguished above all pearls that he's ever laid his eye on. It's one whose quality and worth is greater than anything that any man has ever possessed in his life. And so you know what he does? He sells all his collection. He, sell all, he sold all that he had of the, his belongings, of his home, and takes the money, and he purchases this pearl of great price. And probably no doubt whoever was selling it had, probably knew it was worth a lot, but he was, he was one that's trained. So he understands it's worth far more than they'll ever see. And so it, it, here he sells, he sells it all. Now, let me just give you just quickly what we would say is interpretation to these parables. Well, we've got to ask ourselves, what is Jesus teaching us? 
right? That's just a basic overview because it comes down to it. We, there's a lot of crazy ideas. But I will, I'm going to be generous, but there's a lot of good men that I feel like they have crazy ideas, think I have crazy ideas, right? But there's a lot of ideas out there, and, uh, and, but I, I, want to, I want to try to be as honest as I can because I believe it's great because there's some interpretive challenges don't mean we shouldn't tackle Scripture. Because there's a message here. And so what was Jesus teaching? He, he, and by the way, if I teach something this morning, Brother Joseph disagrees with it, then you ignore everything I said, and, uh, and I'll be happy, okay? Disagree agree with him. But best yet, you find out yourself. Amen? Find out yourself. So what is Jesus teaching? He gives an explanation to the sower and to the wheat and the tares, but not with these two. And there's debate between good and godly men of what it means. And so uh, some say it is Jesus giving his all for his people. That Jesus saw the people that he was saved as a great treasure, as a pearl of great price, and he gave all that he had. And they say the man and the merchant in these parables is Christ, the treasure, and the pearl is, is church. But I do have some problems with this interpretation because uh, finds a treasure, he hides a treasure. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus unexpectedly discover people? No. No. He chose from the foundation of the world. Uh, how is it, was his people hidden and rehidden is a question I have to ask. Did Jesus pay all that he had for his people? You say, well, Brother Granny gave his, gave his life. Well, let me just push a little bit farther, farther because he never ceased to be God and he never ceased to be the omnipotent, holy God, uh, creator and owner of everything in this universe. Not one time. Jesus did not liquidate himself of all his property and all his possessions. Jesus did not relinquish his deity. He did not relinquish his kingship, his kingdom, uh, to purchase uh, the church. And, and, so th and so this man, uh, if we look at it, what makes, if we look at this, we're saying that the greatest treasure is man, is man. And you know what we're doing once again with this? We're making man the center of the Bible. I heard a guy one time, the Bible's about a love story, great God's great love for man and how he's going to send somebody and, and he's just hoping people would come to him and he's tried to come up with these ways to be saved and finally he's, he's come, Jesus go to Calvary to demonstrate his great love by giving his own son and, and he's longing, pining that they would come and, and, and he just loves man and you know, that's the dumbest story I ever heard. Because I read Ephesians chapter 1, you want me to tell you why God saves the way he saves? It's for his own glory, and, and, and that's it. That's why he does it. For his own his purpose and grace, he gets glory in it. And so this is the treasure is not those who will be saved, in, in my honest estimation here. Because <laughs> this is a parable about the kingdom. And it's, you say, well, what is it then, Brother Grant? Well, it, it's about, some people say, well, uh, well, I'm not even going to chase them ideas. Some people, oh, it's the nation of Israel. No, you're not going there, okay? I'm not going there. It's about all those who, when they come to know the Lord, all those who get saved, when they see the value of the kingdom of God, they see its unmeasurable worth 
They're willing to sacrifice everything to have it. They're willing to give up everything to have it. You see, the man and the merchant is all who believe. The treasure and the pearl is the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom. We can even say the gospel. There's several good men that agree with me here, and I'm not going to give you all their names, but, but I, I want to say to you, that, 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 you see, it's in the gospel we find acceptance. It's in the gospel that we, we are adopted. It's in the gospel that we are sanctified. It, it, it's by the kingdom of God and the work of Christ that we are reconciled sinful man with, with holy God. It, 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 we're, we're, we're there, there's a vertical relationship that God restores in Ephesians chapter number 2 it, when we were dead in trespasses and sins and enemies. And, and I mean, we, we were like the children of wrath. It, so there's a vertical, uh, what we would say, God coming along and reconciling us. But there's also a horizontal reconciliation because now Jew and Gentile are brought together as one. I want to say to you, what to fix the world is to know the Lord. Amen. It fixes between us and God and all men. If we just get saved, it don't matter your, your, your skin color. It don't matter your background. It don't matter if you're, if you're a razorback or if you're a wildcat. I, I promise you this, it'll, it, it, or Black Knight or whatever the Navy is. I don't even know what the, the Navy, I guess. But, uh, you know, go Army. So I, I want to say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We get saved by the grace of God. We're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, and you know what it is? People say, well, this man saw this treasure irresistible, kind of like salvation. And people you say, well, no man will come. No, he won't. But the Holy Spirit get a hold of his heart. He'll desire to come. He is drawn. He'll come. Just like a man finds his wife irresistible on his wedding night, so we'll find Christ irresistible. We'll have to come. People say, save us against the will. No, he just changes our will. He does work within us. He changes the, the, the cold, stony heart and gives us a heart of flesh and, and we're willing to do something now that we would have never done before by the work of regeneration. And you know what they'll do? They'll see the value once a person has truly been saved. They'll see all that they have and all that they think has value in their life is nothing but dung. Paul said, I may have Christ, that I may experience him. That I may know the power of his resurrections. That I may experience the fellowship of his sufferings. Right? That's how he saw it. And may I say to you, I believe that's how we should see it. The point of parable is not that the kingdom is bought, but the kingdom of Christ may cost you everything, but he wants to remind us it is worth it, and we ought to be willing to sacrifice everything with joy. He sold everything and did it with joy. I love that. And so you may lose everything on earth that you hold dear to. But if you have captured and you capture for what Christ has captured you for, you, whoa, it's worth it. It is worth it. It is worth to get everything. And so losing everything but gaining what God has for you. Jim Elliott, and you all know the quote, why many of you do. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen. And, and, and so uh, let, let, let's always be reminded of that, that what God has for us and, to, and his serving in his kingdom and his kingdom work is worth more than 10 millions of worlds and all its natural resources and all its gold and all its 
oil and everything that is there, it is worth more than anything that we could ever give. So let me, let me just try to give you an application of, of, of this parable. You see, the problem why this parable sometimes, when I believe we get to the root of what it means, is too many people want a religion that has yard sale prices, right? And, uh, you know, they only cost them spare change. They want a bargain, right? They want to get what they can get, just minimal effort, minimal cost, minimal pain, and get maximum reward. There's no such thing like that in a Christian life. I don't care what the faith healers say. It just don't work that way. It don't work that way. We have too many that are bargain hunting when it comes to their, their spirituality, and they want a cheap religion. They want a religion that does not cost them that much. A religion that makes them comfortable yet in the world or comfortable yet that there's never no conflict. There's never no heartaches. There's never no griefs that they can just fit in and no one ever says anything bad about them. They, they never have to take a stand on anything. They just want to fly under the radar. They don't want a religion that demands sacrifice and time out of their life. And I'm thankful for those of you that I've seen this week that, that testifies to me that you see the value of the kingdom of God. And, and those that are working in the fields and, and laboring for what God's doing. That thrills my soul. But, but there's so many people in this world who want a cheap religion that doesn't cost them any money. It's always, and there's some that they don't want to put any effort to have to study. They want the preacher to just give them everything they need, some little quaint little quote, some anecdotal story, something feel good, and, and we pat each other on the back and, and hope that we get enough that somehow that we can get through to next week, right? But, but let me tell you something. That, there's churches everywhere that offer that stuff, right? They offer it everywhere. And, and I'm not against good fellowship or telling a joke or anything like that, but they'll never take the place of the Word of God in your life. If it's always burdensome to study, if it's always a burden for you to pray, if it's always a burden for you to have to dig down and give and sacrifice and, and, and that, that the work of the kingdom will advance, I want to say to you, if it's always that way, you have not recognized the worth of the kingdom yet. And there's only two things that are possible. You're either cold and indifferent and backslid on God or you're not saved. That's harsh, but it's true. I, I do, I do, I'm not good. I'm not a good salesman. As a missionary, I stink at it. I, I tell you, some of the guys are good salesmen. They got all razzle-dazzle. I just like getting up and bludgeoning people with Scripture. Uh, I'm not too much of a politician. And say it, I'm going to get blunter and blunter the older I get. But let me tell you something. You saw the value of the kingdom you'd invest in. If you could go back 40 years, and take your house and refinance it, take all the money, and invest it in stock at Walmart, would you do it? <laughs> I'll bet you would. If I could go back 15 years ago, when I sold my house in Somerset and take the money I had from that, you don't know where Somerset is, in southern Kentucky, take it instead of investing in another home I'd, I wish I'd lived in a tent and invested in Amazon that'd be a good investment would it not 
Now, my son gets in all that crypto and all these coin stuff and trader, and I have to stand there and look out. I, I, all the conversations we have, he comes up and come in my study, Dad, what do you think about this, the Bible? We talk basketball, football. We talk about hunting dogs, and we talk about politics, and we talk about a little bit of everything. He's kind of a Renaissance man. Andrew's just, he, he's just unique that way, but I will not miss the conversations about finances and trading and, and coins and digital whatever. I don't know, it makes no sense to me. Way over my head. But I smiled, and I smiled, and I, and I listened to him. But I tell you what, I wish I could go back and invest in, in, in uh, Microsoft. I wish I could go back in time. Uh, if we could go back 15 years ago and invest in Facebook, something. I mean, find some way to invest in some of this. You know what we'd say? We go back now and what we know now, we invest everything we have because we see the value today. And the problem with too many people, they don't believe us. We tell, you, tell them the value of the kingdom of God is it is right before them now. It, 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 we're already in the kingdom, but not yet. It, it, already, but not yet. It's going to get better, amen. And you'll never regret throwing yourself into the work of the kingdom. You'll never regret any price you had to pay to advance the gospel, to stand for Christ, stand for His truth, stand for His word, love the brothers. You'll never regret that. You'll never regret that. See, costly religion is a treasure that's hidden in the field. And for the sake of it, a man will gladly sell all that he has. The pearl of great price, he, he sees this value and he doesn't waste any time in case some other merchant comes, some other collector comes and sees it that has more than he does. He gets busy and he gets after it. He sees the need of it. May we see the rule of King Jesus, Jesus high and lifted up and on his throne and his kingdom advancing, his kingdom of conquering and the King of Kings coming again. And let me tell you, there's work to be done, amen. And he's the one that's worthy because you'll see all around the throne of God, even those that gave up their life, sacrificed everything they said, they're not being patted on the back in heaven. They're not being sung to in heaven. They're not being praised. They're not getting ribbons in heaven. You know what they're doing? They're saying, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Because of all eternity, He's the one that's worthy. You see, I, I, I just think that we need to see things sometimes back up and think about it clearly. Jesus would speak to men on the seashore. Come follow me. You know what they do? They drop their nets and they follow. And you say, well, they were just fishermen. You go to that region, you'll find out the biggest source of protein was fish. And they had fishing boats and their dad was in the business. They're probably wealthy guys. They're probably good businessmen. It wasn't like they, they, they walked out of McDonald's. Amen. They knocked at McDonald's, but they were, they were successful. And they left it all. And you see, it, it's, it's costly. Look, look in Luke 14. Luke 14, 26. If a man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and brethren and sisters, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Now let me say to you, there's no conflict in the word of God, but sometimes God uses comparative terms. And because we know we're to love our children, we're to love our wives, right, and, and take care of our parents. We get that. So what's he saying? Speaking comparatively. I illustrate this way. You're running down the interstate here. You're, you're, I, what, and I love it. Your all speed limit's what, 75? Is that what it is? Ain't that glorious? <laughs> that means I drive 85, 90. I mean, you know, and, or, or 89, right? 
And, and so I don't know how the state troopers are here or what you call it, but in Kentucky, if you don't get 15 over, they kind of just let you go. And, and that's the word of advice, drive through Kentucky. But anyway, um, you're driving 85 mile an hour. You're doing 10 miles an hour speed limit. And what? Somebody, boom. They blow your doors off. You say, man, they passed me like I'm sitting still. You're not sitting still. You're doing 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. But comparatively, they made you look like you're sitting still. Our love for Christ ought to be so supreme, it makes the love that we have for our parents look like hate at times. Love that we have for our own children at times. See, I, don't, I, don't understand, I understand this so, so good over the past two years now. I've understood because I've seen people that's had to pay that price, that literally pay this price because of love, love, love of truth. And, and, and Jesus who says, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciples. So there, there's a cost there. And, and he says there's got to be some calculation and he talks about that but ultimately he said whosoever you that does not forsake not all that he hath in verse 33 right sell all he has forsake all he has for bearing a cross what he cannot be my disciple he cannot it, let me tell you something about fallen lord it, it can sever us sometimes in our relationships it causes us to sacrifice there's a big price to pay and sometimes it's a painful price to pay bearing your cross but it's still an amazing bargain. Amazing bargain. It's worth every sacrifice necessary to walk with the Lord, be doing what God would have us to do. Our lives are a reflection of the kingdom and what we value. I want to ask you a question. What has it cost you? I can stand here today, and I've never wanted to make enemies because of my disposition, but I am willing to make enemies for my position. I am. I can tell you today that because of the truth of Scripture and because of following the Lord, it's cost me a lot of friends. The following the Lord's cost me some family. They can't stand me. You know why? Not because I've ever done anything wrong to them. They can't believe I'm a dirty Calvinist. Hmm? I mean, you thought I'd been anathematized. I mean, it's something. That I've lost position. I mean, I, I, I mean I've... I, I've been talked about in every way possible. And, and the dreams and plans I had for my family, even my health. I, I can tell you that, that I, I took a price of my health through some stressful times in my life because of the convictions I had for the Word of God. And I still have a little bit of hoarseness yet today. It's messed with me in a lot of ways. And, and one day the doctor called, done some blood work, said, you're going to have to talk to me. And I said, I got time. There was a school going off for my son a scholarship, and I wanted to be there, you know, to celebrate. And, and in his sophomore year, his first offer, and I, and I was just so excited and proud of him. And, uh, and he said, you're going to talk to me. Or he said, you're going to have some major problems. And he said, you, the stress hormones in your system are so ridiculous. He said, he said you're messed up. It, it cost. It cost. But I do want to say this. I'd do it all again. <laughs> I'd, do it all, I'd do it just like that. Bad choice. You know why? I, I, I love where I'm at. Amen. I'm thankful what God's doing. Because you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. It's more important to me to be where God wants me and to see God working in ways that I've only dreamed of my whole life. And, and what the Bible says of these men, for joy they sell all they have. For joy they trade everything they have. For this hidden treasure, for this peril. And, and you say, how, can you illustrate? Yeah, I can illustrate a little bit more. Let me, let me just put it to you this way. I, you remember one day there was a man out plowing with 12 yoke of oxen? 
He either was a really big, strong dude or he had a crew that was working with him. Twelve yoke of oxen at the same time. That means he had a big piece of land too. And his name was Elisha. And this prophet that caused all kinds of trouble in Israel walks up on him, throws his mantle on him, and you know what Elisha does? Elisha didn't say, I can't do that. I, my family, I got the farm, I got the servants, I got all this money to take care of. You know what he does? He runs home, he kisses mom and dad. and says goodbye. He takes some of the ox, and you know what he does? He kills it, makes a sacrifice, takes the wood from his plows and burns it. And you know what he's doing? And I believe he's, he's sending out a signal. I'm not coming back to this. Now my, I, I, I put the plow down, but my focus is on the kingdom. And God has a plan and a purpose, and it, it is worth it to leave everything behind. Everything behind. And, and, and so, let, let me, you go into the book of Philippians. Turn there real quick, and I promise you I'm going to speed up. But I think it's important that we see this. You know, when Paul was in Philippians, he was, he was writing from a villa, right, on vacation. He's in prison. He's in prison. He don't know if he's going to live or he's going to die. He's got a court appointment. He'll know. He said, man, if I die, it's good. But if I don't, that's okay too. I'll come back and preach to you. <laughs> he's good either way. He was. And, but he writes this. And Philippians is probably the most sunny and optimistic and joyous of all Paul's writings. <coughs> and he says, now, some of the things you've heard, I want you to know is true. I don't know if I'm going to live. I don't know if I'm going to die. They may kill me. And it's true that many people who are my friends and other pastors are working against me. They're spreading stories about me. They're running me down. They're, they're trying to destroy my reputation. And I don't know why they do it. I, I don't care. yet preaching Christ. And, and he said, whether they're preaching in the truth or in pretense, it doesn't matter to me. So I'm going to rejoice. And it's almost like, yeah, I mean it. I'm going to rejoice. That's what he says. And Paul goes through there, and I mean, he's in this place, and he talks about the joy of your faith. The word joy or rejoice is used like 17 times in this, this epistle. If it's used that much, you ought to pay attention. I mean, you come to chapter 4, verse number 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I mean, he just, everything about Paul just pours out of his joy, his thanksgiving for these people that he loved and he served. And, and there's so much great doctrine. He gives the example of Christ and says, Let this mind be you, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he gives three human examples. And you know who these human examples he uses? He uses himself. In verse number 17 of chapter 2, he says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of, of your faith. And that word offered is a word for drink offering. That they would come to the main offering, they'd pour the wine upon it, and it wasn't the main offering, but it would be poured out. It almost wasted because it just evaporated and be gone. He said, my life's not that big a deal. But what you're doing for the Lord's the big thing. And I'm willing to be poured out. I'm willing to be used up. And not only, I'm not going to do it sad. I'm not going to do it grumbling. But he says in verse number 17, the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. 
It's the same Paul who just a few more verses over is going to tell you to what to follow him, be followers together of me in chapter 3 and verse 17. And mark them that walk in the same manner, follow them. But you know what Paul's life was? It was a sacrifice. God saved him. Ananias brought him in there. The Lord said, Ananias, I told him all the great things I'm going to do with him. I have a great plan for his life. He said, I showed him all the things he's going to suffer. All things going to have to endure. Paul said, my life's sacrifice is worth it. I don't know where I'm at. I, I, I probably don't have my old timer here. But anyway, I'm going to keep moving. Secondly, <laughs> let me say this. He, he not only sees his life as a, as a sacrifice, he mentions Timothy. And he says of Timothy, he was one who served selflessly. Timothy, you see in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 20 through 22, he said, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for you. Everybody else seeks their own thing. They're looking what's good for them, not the things which are Christ. Not, they're not putting the things of Christ above their own desires. But you know the proof of him, how son and the father he served with me in the gospel. Timothy was a faithful servant. All these other people turned back on Paul. Timothy's still there. Timothy saw him stoned. Timothy saw his manner of teaching. He saw his persecution. He saw all that stuff, and he stood by Paul. He was a servant. Amen. Thank God for that. Then he mentions another name by the name of Ephroditus that come to him. The Philippian church is sent to him, and he got sick, and he nearly died, and Paul is commending them. Thank God he's got well, and I'm sending him back, and you're going to rejoice you see him. He was brokenhearted that you were concerned about his sickness. Ah, yeah, yeah, all that fluffy feel-good stuff, okay? But, but notice what verse 29 Paul does say this. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. You value men like this. Why is that? Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his own life. That word regarding means that he hazarded, he risked, or he gambled his own life for the work of Christ. He suffered. You want me to tell you why Paul said my life? It's like a drink offering I'm going to pour out in my life really doesn't mean anything. And, and why Timothy would never want to be in the limelight and always be a servant, be second, and, and, and never try to take credit for anything and put the things of God uh, before, before his own needs, the things Paul wanted before his own needs. And why Ephroditus was willing to risk his own life and suffer greatly for it is because they saw the value of God's work. Saw the value of God's work. This past year, I've seen, past well, about two years, I've seen fathers who don't even want to talk to their sons anymore. I've seen uncles who won't even speak to their, their nephews anymore. I've seen aunts that have turned their back upon their own kin. Families that won't hardly speak during Christmas anymore. And you say, what happened? Somebody do something terrible? No, somebody got a hold of some gospel truth. Got a hold of some gospel truth. And it wasn't because that group was mean. They were heartbroken. But they, it, but every one of them, and I could, I could name a bunch, would tell you this. Though they love their parents, though they love their aunts and uncles, and their friends they grew up with and the church they went their whole life, they see the value of God's work, the value of kingdom, the value of truth. And there's a price to be paid, and they'd rather... They'd rather give it all up because they know that it's worth it. Brothers and sisters, how much are you willing to give? Have you really ever had to suffer? Have you ever had to give up something? 
have you ever had to endure pain, emotional pain, because of your stand for Christ? If you see the value of the kingdom, you'll not hesitate to give. You'll not hesitate to become even an enemy to your own family. May we love the Lord Jesus Christ so supremely that this world holds no value to us. Paul did a spiritual ledger, chapter 3 of Philippians. List all the things he said made me great. But when he sees Christ, but, that word but's in there, when he sees Christ, he takes all that and puts, changes it on the ledger from assets to losses. It means nothing. He said none of that means nothing. I want to attain Christ. May we have that attitude in the spirit today. This world holds nothing. May we attain Christ. So, Father, I thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this time to preach. And may this message challenge our hearts. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Joseph, please come.